turn in your Bibles to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6. We, uh, we had intended on, um, oh, late November jumping into Isaiah, but I'll tell you what happened. I got in Romans 6, and I felt like once I got in it, I couldn't get out of it until we were done. Um, I didn't want to because of just that, how it all packaged together and how we fight against sin, okay? So uh, we stayed in Romans longer than I had intended. So what we're going to do is we're going to spend uh, today in Isaiah 6, which <clears throat> the reason for that is I feel like you can't do a study in Isaiah without starting in, in or without going through chapter 6. Chapter 6 is Isaiah's call. It's his call to ministry. It's called to, to the prophetic word that God is going to use him to do. And so then next week, we're going to jump all the way to 9, and we're going to, uh, we're going to just look at the Christmas uh, passage there in Isaiah 9. We actually will end the day with a little bit of Christmas, okay? And so uh, Isaiah ends with uh, the, uh, the prophecy of the Christmas story. And Isaiah 6 does, and so we'll get, we'll get Christmas. So I'm, I'm counting this as a Christmas sermon, uh, and then next week we'll be in chapter 9, 7 or 9, I think 9, but they both have Christmas elements to them, Okay. So Isaiah chapter 6, and we're going to read the entire chapter, verses 1 through 13. Here we go. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of Him who called. The house was filled with smoke, and I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. And he said, Go. And say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant, houses without people, the land is a desolate waste. The Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. (coughs) Father, we thank you for your word today, and we, we ask, God, that through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would, would give us a glimpse of your glory, that you would, to some degree, God, in our hearts, pull the curtain, edge it back, God, so that we can see your character, your majesty, your holiness. God, that our, our minds, though they're finite and, and broken, 
God, that you would enable us to grasp who you are. And God, I pray that you would bring our hearts into alignment that we might say today, here are we, send us. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Now, what I'm afraid might happen this morning as we read that is that in most of your hearts you would say, you know, that's really cool. You know, that Isaiah was ushered up into the heavens and he saw the throne room of God and beheld the, the seraphim, the blazing ones, and the, 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 the proclamation of God's holiness. You know, that's, that's, that's really great. You know, and wouldn't it have been cool to be Isaiah? You know, wouldn't it have been cool to be Moses, you know, standing before the burning bush and the voice comes from the, the bush that doesn't burn? Wouldn't it have been cool to be Ezekiel, you know, and have that heavenly vision of the wheel within a wheel and the, the, the hovering and the Spirit of God? And wouldn't it have great have been to have been the Apostle Paul, you know, knocked off his donkey on the Damascus Road, blinded by the, the glorious light of Jesus Christ, and then later on caught up into the third heaven where he saw things that he couldn't even talk about? And wouldn't it have been great to be the Apostle John? who at the end of his life on the island of Patmos, God gives him the, the, the revelation, the book of Revelation, where he is ushered up into the heavens and sees all the, the timeline playing out and the judgment and the victory and the glorious culmination of all God's plan. Wouldn't it have been great to be those guys, but we're probably not going to be, right? And, that, and that's true. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, God may do that for you, and if he does, praise God. I'd love to hear about it. Um, but the most likelihood is, is that we'll live our Christian lives, if you're a believer here today, we'll live our Christian lives, and, and, not, and not have some kind of experience where God actually takes us into the heavens and we see what's going on there right now, okay? And so the, the danger of this sermon is that you'll think, well, that's great for Isaiah, but it's probably not going to happen for me. It's great for John, it's great for Moses, it's great for, you know, and, 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 and again, there's a truth to that. But here's what, I, here's what I need you, want you to see, okay? What I want you to see is, is it, is it, as a believer, it is a requirement, okay? It is a necessity. Uh, it is, to some degree, the only way you become a believer and the only way you grow in the Christian life is that you do see glimpses of God's glory, Okay? So let, let me explain that to you. One of the, the verses that we hang our hat on here at Lincoln Avenue, as long as I'm the pastor anyway, we keep coming back to this, is 2 Corinthians 3.18. Okay, now 2 Corinthians 3.18 is not talking about Moses. It's not talking about John. It's not talking about Ezekiel. It's not talking about Paul. It's talking about ordinary, I think I'm ordinary, ordinary Christians like me and you, right? In fact, Paul's writing this to the church at Corinth. Church at Corinth wasn't even a special church. It's kind of messed up, right? When you, when you read about well, what Paul was having to deal with at the church at Corinth, this is not like some stellar, you know, best church ever. No, this is kind of a messy church, you know, that probably nobody really wants to pastor, right? And Paul says to this church, to these believers in 2 Corinthians 3.18, he says, and we all, all right, are you following me? We all... With unveiled face, okay? Kind of Paul's picture there is that when you get saved, the veil is taken away. That's kind of the process of how your salvation happens. The veil is taken away. You see Jesus for who he really is, okay? The veil is taken away with unveiled face, 
beholding the glory of the Lord. Beholding means to see, okay? So seeing the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. All right, and so Paul lays out there that for ordinary believers like us, here's what's happening, okay? We, we need to be continually seeing the glory of Jesus, the glory of God, the, the, his character, who he is, okay? And as we see that, we are literally transformed from the inside out and from one degree to another, okay? That keeps happening, degree. That's the whole degree thing, one degree to another, all right? And, and so what 2 Corinthians 3 tells us very clearly is, You may not be Isaiah, you may not be John, you may not be Moses, you may not be Paul, you may not have some kind of heavenly experience like that, but if you're a believer, it is absolutely essential that you see the glory of Jesus. You can't grow if you don't. So much so that Paul prays that way. In Ephesians, when he's praying for the church, he prays in Ephesians 1.18, God open their eyes, open their eyes, enlighten their eyes, the eyes of their heart, that they would see. In John 1.14, John says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory. Okay, So much so that in, in 1 John, in, in 1 John, the whole, the whole book is laid out by seeing and then telling. We see, then we tell. We see, then we proclaim. 1 John chapter 1 says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, we've seen it. Verse 3, that which we've seen and heard, we proclaim to you. I mean, this is the story of the New Testament. All right, as believers having their eyes open, wow, that's who Jesus is. That's his character. That's his love. That's his mercy. That's his grace. Wow. And they're changed forever. And then they go along in their Christian life and they see it anew. And they see it again. They see it again. They see more. They see more. They're digging into the word. They're in prayer. Folks, it is absolutely essential that we see the glory of the Lord. This is what I want for my life. If you ask me, what do I want for Christmas? I want to see God's glory. Okay. And and, and man, I'd love the vision that Isaiah had. I think I had, I think I'd probably be terrified actually, okay? But I mean, those are great things, but that's really not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, man, I, I want times of prayer. I want times in the Word where God peels open the curtain and I see His glory. I see His majesty. I see it in His Word. I see it in His truth. I see it in, through His Spirit and prayer and, and meditation and being with people of God and worship and, and church. I want to see, I want to know God's glory. That fixes everything. If you want an, an all fix, it's that, all right? I mean, what, what do you need when you're flat in your Christian life? What do you need when you're just nothing, you know? I mean, you have no desire for God, no desire for spiritual things, no desire. What do you need? You need to see his glory. What, what, do you, what do you need when you're overwhelmed with grief? Man, read the book of Job. What did Job need? Job needed God to step out of the heavens and just show him himself, okay? He didn't answer a question. We'll look at that later. He Nothing. He just showed him who he was. That was all Job needed. Man, that quieted him down really quick. What do you need when sin is tempting you and attacking you? You need to see his glory. What do you need when you're depressed or discouraged? What do you need when you're prideful? What do you need when you're fearful? What do you need when you're tired or overwhelmed or bored or agitated or frustrated? What you need as a believer is to see the glory of God. And so while you may not be able to identify with Isaiah here in chapter 6 and having been ushered up into the heavens, what you need right now today, what you ought to be asking God for, I pray that you woke up this morning and in your prayer life you said, God, please, as I go to church and as I open up my Bible and as I have my prayer time, God, please show me yourself. That was Moses' prayer, wasn't it? God said, ask whatever you want, Moses. Show me your glory. That's what you ought to pray. That's what I ought to pray. So Isaiah, verse 1, 
sees the Lord. When did he see the Lord? I think this is kind of important. He sees the Lord in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, if you've read the story of the kings of Israel, he had a few good ones and a whole bunch of bad ones, all right? Some of them reigned for about 52 minutes, okay? So they'd get to be king, and their brother killed them before they ever actually even got to sit on the throne. You know, there's a whole lot of just bad stuff. Uzziah was an exception to that. He reigned for 52 years. Most likely, Isaiah had never known another king other than Uzziah. Can you imagine that? Being born, Uzziah's the king. You grow up in school, Uzziah's the king. You get married, Uzziah's the king. You have your, 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 your ministry, your job, your occupation, Uzziah's the king. He'd probably never known anything else. But Uzziah had always been a 52-year reign. Not only that, but Uzziah has died and Israel is under attack. When you look at chapter 7, verse 1, you'll notice that what's happening in chapter 7 is Three nations have aligned against Israel. They're waging war against them, okay? So now imagine your, your country has just lost the only king that most of them have ever known, and the nations around you are waging war against you. Everything's falling apart. You see that? That's what's happening in Isaiah's life. Man, things are coming. That's probably why he's at the temple. He's probably right at the, at the temple saying, God, what are we going to do? We, uh, Uzziah has died, and, and these nations are waging war against us, and we've got political upheaval, and there's instability, and our nation's falling apart. And then he sees that Uzziah may be dead, but the king is still on the throne, okay? You see, you, you see the contrast there? In, in the year that the great King Uzziah died, at the same time, he sees the king of the universe sitting upon the throne. And you know what? Whenever you see God there in, the, in, in these kind of passages, I was reading with some guys in Hebrews this week, and we saw a similar passage in Hebrew where God is sitting on the throne. You, you know what you see? God's never pacing. You know, isn't that great? Like, you, the scriptures never open up, and God's like, what am I going to do about ISIS, man? What am I going to do about this stuff? You know, God's never doing that. He's never sleeping. He's never out to lunch. You know where he is? He is reigning securely on the throne. Everything is going as planned, okay? God, God is in complete control of his universe. It's not unraveling. It's, 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 not, it's not getting out of control. God is reigning, sitting on the throne. Isaiah says he saw him high and lifted up. He, he sees the throne room and, and, and the God, the Father, is on the throne, but, but it's way up there. He is an exalted figure. Psalm 115.3 says our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. Isaiah sees his, his robe. He, the train of his robe fills the temple. Okay, So you have this massive structure of a temple, probably the largest thing we've ever seen in our life, and the entire temple is filled with the robe of God. Now, what's, what's that picture? It's got into long robes, you know? The picture there is of importance and grandeur and beauty. Have you ever been to a wedding? At a wedding, who's the most important person at the wedding? It's the bride, right? And, and, and what is the bride wearing? You Normally, she's wearing a dress with a long train, right? Ladies, I'm going to help you out. Sometimes I just give free, just helpful advice so you don't embarrass yourself in life. If you go to a wedding and it's not yours, don't wear a dress with a long train, okay? Don't do that. Don't show up at the wedding, you know, and you got like three of your nephews and they grab your, your dress and here you come in, you know, and sit down in the back. Okay, the bride's going to hate you if you do that, all right? Because the point of that whole long train thing is 
You know, here's the sinner, boy, this grander beauty, honor, right? Okay? It's kind of like the entourage. Have you ever seen like a motorcade? Whenever the president comes, does he come on his scooter like me, you know, driving to the White House? No, he comes like in a big motorcade, right? And the more important the person, the bigger the motorcade. Him and I just happened to be in England. Literally, on accident, we got to see the queen. You know, a lot of people go there and like wait. We just, you know, we're just walking. We just got a sandwich and we hear this band playing. And we're like, band playing? Let's go see what happened, you know? And so we stroll over there and here comes a big marching band, all the big bear hats and everything. And then here comes a bunch of soldiers. And then here comes the cavalry, all these guys on these big horses, you know? And then here comes a bunch of military vehicles. And then here comes a bunch of motorcade. And then here comes a bunch of car- carriages. And there's the queen, you know? I mean, there she goes, drives by. She she stops, opens up the door, says, hey, J-. that's the only part that's not true, but everything else is true, you know. There they go by, you know. Why, why all that to do, you know? Why? That, that didn't happen when you go to Walmart, you know. Nobody follows you. Nobody leads you up there. Why? You know, well, the queen's in Britain anyway. It's really important, right? There's this, there's this honor, okay? So the train of his robe fills the temple, and then there's these Seraphim. Now, what are they? I don't even think we have a picture in our mind. Let's try to create one. The word seraphim means burning ones. All right, so I don't even know what, what to think of in my mind, but what, what does it mean when the name of who you are means blazing one, burning one? So I'm picturing these blazing beings, okay? Burning ones, all right? They've got six wings, With two, they cover their face. Why do they cover their face? Because you can't be in the presence of God and look upon him. They'd be disintegrated. They couldn't handle it. These are are the beings that that, that are in the presence of God, serving him. And they can't be there without being equipped to cover their eyes, to cover their face, and they cover their bodies out of modesty and respect for God. And then they've got two wings in which they fly, and they're speaking to one another, holy, holy, holy. And when they speak, the foundation of the temple quakes. That's, that's got, I mean, I don't know what to picture there. I mean, the, the thing I have in my mind is like the space shuttle taking off at Cape Canaveral, you know, when they hit those rocket boosters, and you know, that's got to be like a jarring thing because what, what kind of voice shakes the temples of, of God in the heavens, you know? We live about two blocks from the train, and if it's a big one, every once in a while, the house, the windows in the house will go, you know, a little bit, you know, Okay. But what, what, kind of, what kind of being, when, when, it, when it speaks, the foundation, not the windows, the foundations tremble of the temple. These are incredible, blazing beings, and they can't look upon God. And what are they saying continually? Holy, holy, holy. Here's where we really fall out. What does that mean? That God is holy. Holy, holy, holy. The word means set apart, separate, okay? So it's, it's, it's kind of the principle of you've got your Tupperware, you know, you got your paper plates, and then you got your fine china, right? And, and, and you, you usually set your fine china aside. You set it aside. You set it in a display case. Why? Because it's valuable and, and it's set apart. It's for special use. And, and that's sort of the, the meaning of, 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 of holy, but see, where we really struggle is that God is, is set apart from everything. Everything. And then that's where it begins to be hard for us to compare, right? 
So, so like, let me give you an example. So the Pride of Texas Carnival comes to Woodward, and we're excited. I'm not excited, but some of you are excited, you know, and you go and pocket full of cash and ride the rides, okay? And, and maybe you go, and maybe you've been to Disney World before, and now you're, you compare, right? You're like, well, you know, it was smaller, you know, than Disney World, and Disney World was bigger, and, and it, it was more expensive, Disney World was, and the food was really high. But, you know, I mean, you're comparing, right? Maybe you go to Paladura Canyon and watch that pride of texas thing or whatever and you're in the canyon you're like man this is a cool canyon and everything and then you go to the grand canyon right and and you're like well it's a lot bigger it kind of made the paladura look like a ditch you know i mean it, it's really big you know and so you're able to compare right you got one thing or another you know pride of texas carnival disney world they're sort of the same thing but really they're not they're really different you know this is a lot better this is a lot worse you know okay i mean right we're able to compare how are you going to do that with god you see, that's what holy, holy, holy really means is he's in a category all by himself. There, there's no way to compare him. In Isaiah chapter 40, here's what, here's what God says. He says in verse 25, To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Says the Holy One. You see what he's saying? He said, who are you going to compare me? Now, he's not saying, are you going to say I'm better than? Because he is. But he's saying, can you even really compare me to anybody else? And if you read the rest of Isaiah 40, let me, let me read you some cool stuff here. Verse 12, Isaiah 40. Who's measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. You see what he's saying there? How much, how much water's in the Pacific Ocean? God says, it's about like that, Right? How big are the heavens? How big is the cosmos, the universe, the galaxy? How big is all that? We put a Hubble telescope and, and then look, you know, as far as we can into the light years away. And God says, oh, it's like this, you know, a span. That's what a span is. A span is your arms. God measures the galaxies with a span. Okay? How big is the earth? Well, it's dust on the scales for God. Verse 15. How about the nations? He says the nations are like a drop from a bucket or a counted as dust on the scales. God puts all the nations out, all China and North Korea and, and Russia and the Middle East and America and Britain and Australia and, and all the nations and all their armies. And, and it's, he's got to look close. Are you there, you know, on the scale? And then it's dust. He, it's, that's it. That's how, that's, that's, how are you going to compare that God? He's in a category by himself. Holy, holy, holy. And then whenever God enters into our world and he begins to work, that's glory. Okay? The whole earth is full of his glory. So how do you, how do you respond when you see the holiness of God? Well, look at verse 5. Okay? So let's go here. Verse 5. Here we go. And I said, woe is me, for I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts. You know, it's interesting. We live in a country of, of folks who are really confident, right? America is a confident nation, you know? Uh, how many people have you met that they're, they're, they've got all kinds of opinions about God, you know? I'm telling you this is who he is, you know? And if I ever get a chance, I'll tell you, here's what I'd like to ask him, you know? And, and, and you know, folks that will stand above his word. Man, our nation's full of these guys. Stand above his word and say, you know what? Let me tell you this. That's not true. Right there. Take it out. It's not true. That's wrong. I'll tell you what's right. I know what's right. 
My opinion that I figured out up here in my massive brain tells me what is right and that the Bible is wrong. We've got a nation full of folks that have no problem standing up to God in bold arrogance. We, we live in a nation of folks who are, who are not interested in God. How many times have you started a conversation about God and then people around you, their eyes are rolling, oh, not that, you know, what a bunch of silliness. You know, and I, I tell you what, I just can't wait. I can't wait until these great, big, smart, strong, powerful people get to face God because it's going to be something else, won't it? You know, I mean, fight of the century, right? You know, but what kind of makes me wonder a little bit is that every other time in the scriptures, without exception, that someone sees God, they aren't on their face, okay? They're eating dust, right? They, they, they're like Isaiah. They're coming undone, okay? Woe is me means I'm undone, right? Job, Job's a righteous man. Job's top of his class. God says there's nobody like this guy here. Okay, remember he goes through all that calamity and for 34 chapters he's, he's upset with God and he, he, he just wants to see, he says over and over again, I deserve a hearing before God. I deserve to, to question him. I deserve to ask him. I deserve to, to settle this with God. I want to I wanna see God. And so finally, God being gracious and mercy appears to Job in chapter 38 and God opens the curtain and says, all right, here I am and here's who I am. Here's Job's response, chapter 40. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I'm of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I've spoken once and I will not answer twice. But I will proceed no further. Okay? What's Job's answer after 34, 34 chapters of saying, God, I demand that, uh, you know, that you come here and I got some things I want to talk to you about. When God does show up, what's Job do? I've got nothing to say. No, no. I was, I was wrong. John. Revelation 117, sees the glorified Jesus. What, what, what happens next? Jesus got to scrape him off the pavement, right? He fell as a dead man. Okay, Jesus got to come and put his hand on him. Hey, fear not. Get up, John. I got things to tell you. You can't be dead right now. You know, get up. You see, seeing him changes us. The more we see of God, the more accurately we see ourselves. Here's what's true of Jason Dirks this morning. If I am not seeing God on a regular basis, I do not have an accurate view of myself. Like I think I do, but I don't. And the same is true for you. It really changes things. You know, some of you have been married a long time, and I bet, I bet one of the things that just puzzles you is why your spouse can't figure out how lucky they are, right? I mean, has that, has that ever come across, you know? I mean, you're like, why can't they get that? You know, I mean, like, look at me compared to all the other guys, right? Or, look, you know, you're, you're saying to yourself, look at me compared to all the other girls, right? You know, you get on Facebook and you're like, hey, honey, come here. Look at this gal you used to date, <laughs> you know? I mean, yeah, you do that and, and you're like... You know, hey, I clean the house better. And, you know, he's like, hey, do you, you, you notice, honey, that I'm at all the kids' stuff and all the other dads aren't, you know? And do you notice that I keep the house so well? And do you notice that I, 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 you know, and you just go, and it's so obvious. Like, why don't, why don't they get it? And then, like, you, you open up to Ephesians 5. This ever happened to you? And and for a moment anyway, you're, you're really submitted to the Holy Spirit and you begin to read. 
And husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Unconditionally, sacrificially. And all of a sudden, you're like, woe is me. I'm undone. That ever happened to you? You know, you're looking around at your neighborhood, and it's just like, why, why can't all these people get it? Come on, I've, I know, man, I've, I've been in conversations, so you guys can't get out of this. You know, you look around, and you're like, man, everybody's such an idiot but me, you know? Why don't they get it? You know, and you turn on the news, and you're like, ah, duh, America, duh, come on, right? I mean, we look so good. And then, and then, how many times has this happened? I hope, I hope if you're a believer, you can count some. Man, you're, you're in the word. Maybe you're in a sermon. Maybe you're in a worship. Maybe you're in a quiet. Maybe you're in your prayer time. And, and you see his greatness. And man, the byproduct of that is, you realize, oh God, I'm a mess. I'm a mess. All of a sudden, you stop judging other people and, and you kind of get that, you know what? I'm the one that needs some work here. You know, if, you, if your view of God is he's that grandpappy in the sky, no, no wonder it's so easy for you to please him. I mean, who, man, I'm telling you, I had a grandpa that it didn't matter what us boys did. You know, I mean, he just was happy with us. I wrecked his pickup when I was about eight years old. Just tore the whole side. He just laughed. He was fine. Is that your view of God? Maybe, maybe your view of God is kind of the Santa Claus or the genie or maybe the principal. He's a little hard to please, but you, you just got to you know, follow the rules. Now, when you see the real God, all arrogance leaves, all pride leaves. I mean, you're, you're left with, Woe is me. I'm lost. I, I, I like the King James better. I'm undone. It's, it's like I'm unraveling here. Tim Keller preached a sermon. This is so good. And he talked about how, this is true. Everybody, all of us have this. We have, we have things in our life that make us feel okay about ourselves, right? So it's like, it's like well, I'm, I'm successful, you know, or I'm strong, or I'm tall, or I'm, I'm pretty, or, or I'm a good athlete, or I'm a hard worker, or I'm a, you know, we all have these things that we think about ourselves, you know, and we, and we kind of try to cling to those, you know, and, and we're like, you know, this, this is what makes me kind of significant, and this is what makes me likable, and right? It's kind of our best stuff, right? I mean, we, we all know we got our worst stuff, and really, we're, if we're in, at honest at all, we, we realize that stuff's ugly, but what about our best stuff? Well, here's the deal. When you, when you get before God, your best stuff unravels. Right? That's what happened to Paul. Philippians 3 is a case study in Romans 6. Okay? You know what Paul says in Philippians 3? He's like, hey, you know, if anybody ought to have confidence in the flesh, it's me. I was circumcised on the eighth day, tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee of the laws. He goes through all these. I got all these credentials. That, that this, this is the stuff I used to say. This is what makes me important. This is what makes me worthwhile. This is what makes me a good guy. And, and then he says, and then, then I met Jesus. <laughs> and, and you remember how that goes? He says, he says, and now I count all things as loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. 
for whom I consider all things. Remember what he uses? Rubbish, dung, trash. You know, I think that's what's happening with Isaiah. Like, like he's, he's coming undone, even his best stuff. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. Now, what is that about? Well, it, it could be what Jesus talks about in Matthew 12, where, you know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We, we realize, don't we, that our words are a big tip-off about what's in our heart. You know, we all say, I didn't mean it. And the reality is, we did mean it when we said it. Because it's a reflection of our heart. Now, maybe we don't mean it now. That, that's, that's a lot of times the case. But right? Our, our heart, man, it shows everybody, our, our mouth shows everybody what's in our heart. And so Isaiah could just be saying, man, God, my heart is bad. And, and I know my heart's bad because of my lips. But I, I don't wonder if he's going further. And, and I don't wonder if, if Isaiah is, is just pointing out that he's a prophet. What's a prophet do? He speaks truth. He's, I mean, that, that's, that's, that's who he is. And, and I wonder if he's, if he's pointing out that, man, God, I'm the guy that brings the word. And I'm a mess. Look in chapter 5. <laughs> so it's kind of funny almost. This is a great sermon, by the way. Not mine, Isaiah's. Okay? So Isaiah 5, ready? What? Okay, the word woe, W-O-E, it means like condemnation, wrath. You're, you're done, devastation. You're finished. Okay? Verse 8. Woe to those who add house to house and field to field. And so Isaiah condemns those people that their whole life is on building more and more and getting more and more. Okay, verse 11, woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may run after strong drink, who tarry late into the evening as wine inflames them. Verse 18, woe to those who draw iniquity with cords and draw sin with cart ropes. Verse 21, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Verse 22, woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men and mixing drink. Woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. And then Isaiah 6 comes. And he sees the king. And what's he say? Woe to me, right? Okay, so let's put this in perspective because this is important. He sees God's glory. Okay, what happens next? He sees himself. He's a mess. Then what happens? Well, the angel comes, sent from God, from the altar, the place of sacrifice, with a coal, touches his mouth, your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. It's the beauty of the gospel right there, right? Justification. I don't think we need to go into that anymore. God is the one who, because of our, our union to him, takes away our sin. Okay, so see yourself, you see the glory of God, you see yourself as a mess, you come to God in confession, he makes you clean, and then what? Verse eight. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? You see, who's the us there? Trinity, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, but do you notice that now that Isaiah's cleansed, now that he's seen his glory, now that he's confessed his sin, now God says, now Isaiah, who's going to join us in our mission? All right, now, now we got to stop here because this is a fundamental switch in the way that many people think about God. Okay, many people think of God as the consultant that helps them with their life, right? Like God's, God's in the business of helping me with my life. Like I got my plans and, and I come to him every once in a while. All right, God, here's, here's what I want my life to be. You know, I need your help with this, this, this. I got this one, that one, you know? A lot of, a lot of folks look at God as, as, as being similar to a parent of teenagers, okay? 
Many of you know what that's like, right? You know what you do when you're a parent of teenagers? You just go to their stuff, right? I mean, that's all you do. You just go to their stuff. Like, you, you go to the ball game, and you, you, yeah, good job, buddy, good job. And then you go to the choir deal. Good job, good job. And then you go to the art competition. Good job, good job, you know. Then you go, you know, you go to the speech deal, and you go to, you go to, right? And you just, you just like, you know, a lot of people think that's the way God is with us. Like, we got all our, our recreational pursuits and the things that we want in our life, and God just kind of follows us around and says, can I help you? Did you forget your jersey? You know, do you need a water bottle? You know? That's not an accurate view of God. Here, here's the deal with God. He has a mission. Okay? It's actually the only thing that matters in all the world. Okay? It all belongs to Him. It's all His. He made it all. Why is there an earth? For Him. Why is there an atmosphere? For Him. Why are you here? For Him. It's His mission. It's His glory. It's His vision. And the thing is steamrolling through history for the last 6,000 years. And nothing can stop it. And if you're privileged enough by His grace, He may ask you to join in. But his mission is the mission. Isaiah's response. Here am I. Send me. God, I want to be a part of what you're doing. In the world. Not not my deal. Not my plans. How silly is that? That'd be like. Em and I saying, all right. I'm quitting my job as a pastor. Emma's quitting everything else. Colt, he likes to stack blocks and line up Hot Wheels cars, so we're going we're gonna to help him with that. That's what we're going to do. That'd be silly, wouldn't it, for God to say, here's what I'm going to do, Jason. I'm going to be all about helping you stack some blocks up in your little brief life. No, it's the other way. It's me saying, God, I know you got this glorious, incredible plan blazing through history. Could, could I, me, please, be a part of that? Could, could I go speak truth in my little world and my job and my family and my block and my neighborhood? Could, could I be with you? Here am I. See me. You, you know what Isaiah doesn't do well here? He doesn't get the details. You know, you'd think he'd be smarter than this. I think he was just overwhelmed. Seeing guys go, but you know, shouldn't you always get the details? You know, shouldn't you always say, "Well, God, here am I. I need some more information, though." So, how how much is this going to cost? First of all, you know, and and how much of my time is it going to take? Because God, I'm really super busy, you know, and so I only I've only got a little bit of time here and there, and so you know, I'll, I'll go for you, but I, I need to know will it fit in here? And if 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 it can't fit in on Tuesday night from seven to seven twenty, I'm probably not your guy right now. You know, if you'll check back with me, uh, maybe in a year or so my life I think will be a little less crazy and I'll try to get some things off the plate and he just said you know I mean it shouldn't he should have done that shouldn't he I mean that would have been the wise thing to do but he didn't he gives God a blank check should we deliberate about our obedience I don't think we should I think as long as we're in the mindset of God I've got a little slice. I've got 20 minutes a day, maybe, that I would, I would do something for you. I think we're not seeing him, <laughs> right? I don't think we're seeing him. Because I, I think when we see his glory, and we see ourselves, and we see the mission, I, th- I think we're like Isaiah. 
Have you ever done that? Have you ever just blank checked God? Here am I. Send me. You ever done that? God, whatever. I'm not putting parameters on it. I'm not saying, God, I'll be your missionary, but I won't travel out of Woodward County, you know. I don't work weekends, and I only like a few people. Here am I. Send me. All right. Can I do this? Romans 6. Okay. What have we been learning in Romans 6? What's the foundation of us fighting against sin? It's, it's remember, we first of all, we know and we consider what God has done, who he is, our connection to him. Remember, that's what Paul taught us first. Don't you know, you know, that Christ died for sins, right? We were always, he's, you got to know this. And then as you know that, remember what we learned last week? Then you present your members, hands, mouth, eyes, ears, time, energy. You present them to God as instruments of righteousness. Man, I, I really worked hard on this. I told you last week, my, 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 my continual sin of frustration, you know, I don't, I don't handle some of those things well. And so I've really been working on that. And I just tried to Romans 6 that this week. And so whenever I'd have my plan for the day, my plan for the night, my plan for sleep, my plan for whatever, and man, it got derailed and it did a bunch, okay? I would just say, okay, God, my, temp- my temptation here is to be frustrated, you know, to have a bad attitude. But God, this is what you got in front of me. And so I present, I, I try I to do this. I remember one time in the middle of the night, I said, I just present my hands. My, 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 my energy, my wakefulness, I present it to you as an instrument of righteousness. It's yours. Man, I, my, my heart was better. Not perfect. Paul was over there saying, hey, well, I'm perfect. You know? uh, but I, it was better. It's better. I think I made progress. Progress. Isn't that what Isaiah's doing? He sees God's glory. He sees the mission. And then he presents himself. Here am I. It's in me. Now, I almost think Isaiah was smart in not asking God what this deal was going to be like because I don't think he would have liked the answer. Well, actually, God gives him the answer and he doesn't like it, okay? So what's Isaiah's mission going to be? Look at verse 9, Isaiah 6, 9. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart." You see what he's saying? He's telling Isaiah, Isaiah, you go preach. You go tell the truth here. You go tell them about me, but they're not going to listen. And in fact, the more you tell them, did you know this? The more you reject God's truth, the harder your heart gets. And the more they rejected, the harder their hearts got. And the more God's judgment got closer and closer. Isaiah says, verse 11, how long, God? How long? How long is this going to go on? Do you see what verse 11 says? Until cities lie waste without inhabitant, houses without people. The land is a desolate waste. What's he saying? He's saying, Isaiah, you go preach, and they're going to reject, and they're going to reject until I come and destroy the whole place and send them into exile. If you read your Old Testament, that's what happens, right? They get sent into exile. That's Isaiah's ministry. How's that for a happy ministry, right? Go preach, nobody's going to listen, and judgment's going to come. But then, then he says, sometimes we have to have a long view of ministry. This really helps with kids, too. Just your ministry with children, your ministry with your families, having that long-term view of things. Okay. Then he says in verse 13, And though a tenth remain in it again, I will, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. 
I haven't done this yet. I need to do it. But every year I, I chop down my bushes. So, so they grow up real tall all summer and they bloom out these purple kind of flowers. And then I come in the winter and I, and I cut them all off right down to just a, all that's left is a little stump. And it's, all, it's dead all winter. Nothing happens. And then a shoot starts coming in the spring. Another, 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 another. Man, they, they grow up beautiful every year. So he's saying, Isaiah, your ministry is going to be, you preach and I'm going to use my truth to judge these people. I'm going to chop off the tree. But from that stump, notice what he says in Isaiah 13, or 6.13. The holy seed is its stump. All right, you ready for Christmas? Turn to Isaiah 11. Play a little game. See if you can figure out who this is talking about, okay? Isaiah 11, verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Who's Jesse? David, King David's dad was Jesse. So this is the line of David, okay? A branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Ooh, he's going to be a good guy, okay, right? Holy Spirit's going to rest upon him. Spirit of wisdom, understanding, spirit of counsel, might, spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Man, this guy sounds like he's going to be pretty awesome, perfect. He shall not judge by what he sees, his eyes see, or, or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. Oh, I'm getting a clue now. Remember Revelation 14? talks about Jesus coming with the, the armies of heaven. He strikes the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. I know you figured it out already, right? Who's going to come from that stump? Jesus. And that was part of Isaiah's ministry. Guys, we need to see. We need to, it needs to be our relentless. Man, when you're having your quiet time, it shouldn't be about, God, I need to read a little passage of scripture so I feel better about my day. It should be about, Jesus, I want to see you. God, I want to see you. When when you see him, you'll see yourself rightly. It'll rearrange how you think about your relationship, everything. And then, and maybe maybe here's where we need to end. As as we come and sing, whoever's going to lead us, as they come up, here's where we need to end. Here am I. Send me. God, I'm yours. Father, I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to respond in obedience and in faith today. I pray, God, show us your glory, show us your majesty, show us your greatness. God, show us ourselves. And Lord, send us. Send us for your great mission. In Jesus' name, amen.